शर्म I'm Sangeeta Pillai and this is the Masala podcast, a Spotify original where we talk about all those things that we're not supposed to talk about as South Asian women. Sex, sexuality, periods, menopause, mental health, nipple hair, shame and many more taboos. I do the porn work, I do the massages, the fetish work is mistress sessions where you know you have people like into feet worship, people like getting spanked, strap-on work and all that, you know. It's time we heard the voices of real South Asian women, not just those we see in Bollywood or in mainstream Western media. It's time we had a real voice, a loud and proud and strong voice. <laughs> Asian people are kinky as much, you know, I think they try to hide it. But I think they're so repressed some of them are. I've invited some incredible women to join me around my virtual kitchen table and put the world to rights. In this episode, I speak with Sahara Knight. She's a British Indian adult performer who also works as a mistress, a live webcammer, and a chat host. She's also a TV star who featured in Game of Thrones. Sahara and I sat across my kitchen table and talked about her life as a porn star, how she got started in the business, how her family found out what she does and then how that affected her relationships with them. We also discussed some of the fetishes she comes across in her work, some of which are very South Asian. Sahara Knight, welcome to Masala Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I wanted to start by chatting to you about how you got into the adult entertainment industry. Uh, how did I get into this industry? Well, <clears throat> I got into the industry in 2004, uh, initially for extra money. Uh, I'd left uni, I was working full time and uh, and then in that time I had sort of part-time jobs as well to help pay for student loans, credit card debts. I was living in London. Very which is always really expensive. Which is very expensive. And I just wanted... Actually, I needed a way to clear debts and just make some extra money. So um, at the time, they used to have a newspaper called The Stage. So I went through that one day and there were these, you know, there were adverts in there for solo girl modelling and I sort of knew what it was. So I contacted uh, one of the adverts and that's how it happened. I spoke to the guy and then he was like, are you really sure? And I was like, yes. And he said, well, sometimes girls say they are and they're not. I was like, right. And then he said, well, I'll meet you for a coffee first. And that's how I, so I met him for a coffee. And then he was like, you just wanted to make sure. And yeah, that's how it started. So I started off doing that. And then I started doing calling channels like Babe Station and then Full On Porn. That's how I got into it in 2004. And how old were you at this point? I was 28 at the point. Wow. I was a bit old for the adult industry because most girls do start around 18, 19. But uh yeah, that's really young, isn't it? Yes, I think 18 wow. is very young. I think they should be at least, my personal uh, on that uh, is 21. I hear you. Talk to me a little bit about your background. So I grew up in a very strict Muslim household. I'm the eldest of four kids. Uh, I've got three brothers, so the only daughter. Looking back now, I sort of think I was quite a good child. When I listen to friends talking about, you know, they're going out and drinking. And I think I, I was a, a good child, you know, even though my mum didn't think I was. You know, when you're 14, 15, 16, you know, you, when my rebellious stage wasn't that much. It was mostly to do with my hair. My mum had a thing about, 
you know, he had to have long hair. Like any like good any Asian good, girl. Yes, and he had to be always in a plait or a ponytail. Yeah. I remember having an argument once one morning, I had it out. I still remember this argument because it was just hilarious. It wasn't at the time, but it is now. I wanted to leave my hair down. And I came downstairs and uh, she literally went, yeah, you're not going to school like that. And we had an argument over my hair. And I had to put my hair in a ponytail before I had to oh leave the God. house. When I was about 15, 16, I really wanted to have a perm. Because that was all the fashion at the time. And well, she wouldn't allow me. She was just like, no. So I, I used to have a little part-time job, which she allowed me to have, in a shoe shop. So I saved the money. And one day I made an appointment with the hairdresser. And I came back and my mum just went, what the fuck have you done to <laughs> It was a perm. I think I was 16 at the time. I was at college. And yeah, I don't think she was very happy about that. Was there a lot of restrictions on kind of what you could wear and yeah, keep your legs I mean, covered and all of this kind of stuff? God, a restriction, uh, lots of restrictions. Because it was Muslim, uh, Muslim as well. You had to make sure your legs were covered. You know, you're at school, so you've got a skirt on with pants underneath it. You mean like trousers? Like trousers, like tight wow. trousers underneath, you know, legging type trousers because you couldn't show your legs. So even at home, it was like, you know, you nothing, ankles, no ankles showing, no anything. You had to, nothing tight, had to be all loose. When you leave the house, you had to put a scarf on. We used to argue about that as well, the hijab. Now I put the hijab on just for shooting. But at that, <laughs> the, the, the hijab, was uh, it was uh, a sticking point so much. It was like, I wasn't allowed out of the house unless I put it on. And then even though my cousins lived up the street and you'd go around there and then you'd get a call about 10 o'clock saying, where are you? I'm like, you know where I am. I'm at your brother's house. Oh, no, you have to be at 11 o'clock now. You've got to be at home. You've got to be at home, right? You can't be outside of the house after 11 o'clock at night. Because nothing good happens in the dark, in the dark right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not like, I still always think this. It's not like, you know, if I want to go do something. It's not like in broad daylight, there are no options. Whether I want to get drunk or have sex or whatever you think I'm going to do. Nothing good happens <laughs> after dark. That's my mum's Nothing my good happens after dark. Yes, you have to be at home. There's no need for you to be out after 10 o'clock at night. Just be at home. So let's talk about the work that you do. So you do, from your bio, it says you do lots of adult videos, you do video calls, you do massages, you do mistress sessions. Yeah, I do everything. Sure mistress means. sessions is uh, fetish. Oh, yes. Yeah, so um, obviously I do the adult industry. I do the porn work. I do the massages. The fetish work is mistress sessions where, you know, you have people liking to feet worship, people like getting spanked, strap-on work and all that, you know. Loads of kinks and fetishes out there I cater for. Um, phone chat, webcam. Yeah, I do a wide range of stuff. <laughs> so is there any fetish that has made you go like, oh my God, does anything uh, make you go? Not anymore. I mean, there are things I don't do. I mean, there are people who are into um, scat and things like that. Uh, if people don't know what scat is, that's shitting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, people are into that. Uh, but I draw the line at that. Bestiality and... Uh, Obviously, underage. Yeah. Draw the line. Those three things. Everything else is just, it's your fetish. We can do that. A lot of Asian people, um, I'm say Muslim people here, a lot of Muslim people are into the whole religious fetish. Oh my God, tell yeah. me more about this. They're into the religious fetish, whether it's on cam, whether it's on chat. So uh, describe that to me. Yeah, they want to uh, imagine you in the hijab and... You know, some of them, into, uh, I sort of draw the line at blasphemy. Uh, I draw the line at that and I draw the line at certain things. Like they want you, they'll say, oh, can you say that you're ripping the Quran up? And I go, no, I draw the line at that and, and other things on the Quran. But, you know, they'll be like, oh, imagine me, you know, doing this to you when you're praying namaz and things like that. 
are, they really like are into this whole mm. religious fetish. It's, wow. it's it's quite a big thing, really. It's a uh, it's a strange one. I guess maybe it comes from because it's so repressed yeah. within the culture, and it's like that's okay and that's not okay. I used to have a a, a guy who used to come on camp. He was an imam at the moment. He was an imam. Oh, he was so funny. But he used to like um, like me telling him to like do things, like put carrots up his bum and things like that. It was it, that was his fetish, obviously. And he'd go, he'd take the he'd take the laptop into the. He'd go, I have to I have to go in the bathroom. I go, okay. He go, gotta be quiet. And he said, tell tell me what. And then afterwards, he'll go, right, I'm just gonna clean up. I've gotta go lead the prayer now. And I'm like, <laughs> that's like, brilliant. I go, great. That's he said, I, he said, he said, I shouldn't be doing all this, but he said, I have to go lead the prayer now. And I, I used to just, that's incredible. I used to laugh. I used to just, I used to find it hilarious. That's but. such a fantastic story. Tell you what's really big in the Asian community as a whole, just not Muslims, is the whole um, auntie thing. What is this auntie thing? Like you know, they want you to pretend to be their auntie. Oh my god! Like yeah. auntie, 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 yeah, auntie. Uh, be my auntie. Or they've got like um, I had this one guy who used to. Uh, he was an Asian guy. Not to say Asians are weird at all, but they are kinky. <laughs> he wanted me to pretend to be his sister. Oh, but he, he it wasn't not in that way. He he'd go. He said, "Oh, my sister." Half of you, I don't really know whether it's true or not, but he'd tell me his sister was living with him, and he'd say, "Oh, you know, she hung." You know, she hangs about the house in like really low cut tops and stuff, and he like turns him on. And then when she's out, he goes through the underwear drawer and smells the knickers and stuff. I'm just, <laughs> I used to have to try not to laugh because sometimes I couldn't tell whether it was actually he was real the or truth made up, or yeah. it was just all made up. And uh, yeah, and he'd say, "Oh," then I sometimes listen to him having uh, having se- her and a boyfriend having sex and wanking, <laughs> wanking off. God. <laughs> Asian people are kinky as much, you know. I think they p- try to hide it, but I think they're so repressed. Some of them are, which is exactly. I think because the culture is so repressed, and we're not supposed to know about sex or talk yeah. about sex. I'm sure. What does that lead to? Kink, right? Lots I think it leads kink. to kink, and but I also find um, not that there's anything wrong with kink. There isn't but you know, anything because wrong with kink. What I find within the culture as a whole, I mean, it happens in with sort of Caucasian culture as well, but more so with the Asian culture. I sometimes find. That I'm not going to say all, all guys, but a lot of guys, they don't know how to speak to a woman. They can be quite derogatory when they speak to you. And I don't know whether that's a, how their parents, I'm not saying how their parents have brought them up, but in some ways they've been brought up to think that they're, because they're a boy, they're better. They're better. What is the word for porn in Punjabi or Hindi? Well, in Hindi, it translates as dirty photos or dirty literature. In a culture where we are taught it is shameful to talk about having sex, how are we then expected to open up about the porn we watch? I had my first experience watching porn when I was a naive teenager living in Mumbai. A few of my female friends and I decided one day, that we wanted to see a real porn film. See for ourselves what all the fuss was about. We were about 13 or 14 years old, trying to look like we knew what we were doing. This was in the 80s, so we went along to the local video store. We were so nervous and so excited. My friend, who was bolder than the rest of us, asked for the video at the counter. 
The rest of us hung around trying to look all casual. Truth was, we were terrified that someone would see us. An older auntie we knew, or someone's mum, could walk past the store at any point. Anyway, the guy managing the video store looked at us for a few minutes and then opened up this plastic folder full of little posters with these X-rated films. We were so nervous that we just pointed at the first film on the page. Boom, we paid the deposit and rushed out of the shop. We were so full of relief when we got out that we collapsed in a giggling huddle right outside. Then we rushed back to my friend's flat to watch the video before her mum got home. Was it an amazing experience? Not really. We started the video and saw the man on the porn film who had this weird matted hair all over his body. I remember feeling utterly disgusted. Was this what all men looked like under their clothes? Was this what sex was really all about? So I'd love to ta- talk to you now about kind of your work and how that's impacted on your family. Because I um, saw a little bit about your Channel 4 documentary, mm-hmm. which was um, Diary of a Porn, Porn Virgin, yeah. is it? Yeah. And in that, you're really young. I think you're just about 29, 30. Yeah. Well, and yeah. in the series, you're kind of just entering the world of kind of porn and yeah. adult kind of films and things like that. So talk to me about the journey of your family and them finding out and what that happened. So, um, well, my parents found out because my I was a bit... Um, so you obviously kept that quiet before, right? Oh, yeah, they didn't know. Yeah. Oh, um, I was still in a full-time job at this time, in the job I was in, and I had a call at work. and It was my, co- uh, my cousin's wife. And she rang me and she said, you need, she left a message. <laughs> and, I, and I just knew, Something you know, else, yeah. it, I had a feeling. It was, I just knew, I thought, oh, shit. Anyway, I rang her and she said, do you know that it was her husband, actually. Um, he saw you on the TV. I was like, shit. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, ah, just doing what I'm doing. And I was like, I really can't talk about this at the moment. So I think I put the phone down on him. And then my brother, and then me and my brother played, my eldest brother, he's a year younger than me. I think we played phone tag for a few days at work because <laughs> I just didn't know what to say to him. And then he rang me and he was like, right, whatever you're doing, you're doing right, but you need to stop. Or did he say stop? I'm not really sure what he said, but he said, you should tell our parents. And uh, he said, if you won't tell him, I will tell him. And I was like, yeah, okay. So he did tell him. Wow. He did tell him. Because yeah. I was a bit cowardly. I, I was 28 and I, I was just like, I was, I'd been away from home. I'd been away from home for a long time. So my cousin saw me on Babe Station, actually. And I thought to myself, well, the only reason you saw me on Babe Station was because you were on there. <laughs> because you were flicking channels. And because she was like, oh, he was flicking channels. No, no, no. You don't flick channels up to the 900 channels. You're there and you can't, because you're in little boxes, so you can't see. Um, so you looked at that. Ch- you were looking for <laughs> You were station. looking. And here's how you saw me. So my brother told him. So me and my mum playing phone tag. And my mum actually, oh, this was like, it was on a, it was on Babe Station, but it was on their Life Triple X channel. Oh my Lord, my mum phoned me. My mum phoned me on the channel as I was gyrating <laughs> on oh the TV. Oh my God, Sarah. She phoned me up and I'm thinking, what the fuck is she phoning me up for? She phoned me up and saying, what, you know, what the fuck are you doing? 
get off there and stuff. And this I, was live TV. Yeah, but they can't hear the call. Oh, I see. So I was taking the call. So this was on live TV. And I was like, say to the producer, cut the call. And they were like, I said, cut the call. <laughs> I thought, why is my mum calling me at work? She's watching me bounce about on this sofa in my fucking underwear. <laughs> I should laugh. I should laugh. Um, but yeah, so and then my dad called me. And he was like, what is all these dirty things you're doing? And I was like, Dad, I can't really speak to you about this. It's not a conversation you have with your dad, is it, dear Lord? Um, and he was like, you need to stop all this dirty shit and you know, all this dirty business. It's not, you know, it's not for us. It's not, it's not for you. It's not for us. Wow. And what was the fallout from that? That was the fallout. We did not speak. <laughs> 2004, the fallout, we didn't speak. Uh, they stopped speaking to me completely for quite a long time until 2000 uh, <clears throat> yeah, 2004 um you know I, I held out the olive um, olive branch in 2010 just about 2011 so it was because i wasn't working I, i'd stopped porn at this point so it was about six seven years later yeah six seven I, I, uh, I held out an olive branch purely because of the fact that i'd missed out on so much as well um in that period my two of my brothers had got married uh, my eldest one and my middle one, my middle one, I'd met his wife to be because they came to, I was living in London at the time and they rang me and they said, because she wanted to meet me. And I was like, oh, okay. And they came to London and we went out for dinner and stuff and they gave me an invite. Not that I was going to go. It wouldn't have been right to go. So they gave me an invite. So I, I met her, like I said, met them, his wife, fiance before they got married. But yeah, my eldest brother got married and then, I got blamed because he had an arranged marriage and even though he'd sort of told him that it was a bit of a you know my parents blamed me saying oh the marriage nearly didn't happen because of you you know because of what you've done and you know the shame and I was like but they're not marrying me they're marrying my brother my brother's quite religious do you know what I mean uh they're marrying my brother so regardless of what I've done you know okay I brought shame on the family as my mum said, shame on the family, she couldn't leave the house. And my middle brother was like, she could leave the house. It's exaggerating. <laughs> uh, but shame on the family and things like that. Um, my eldest brother had, a, at the time, when, in 2010, he had, a knee, he had a knee, a daughter. So then I had the debacle of, um, I wanted to take, you know, you want to buy gifts for your nieces, don't you? And I, I only had one niece at the time, so I'd bought some stuff. And then it was sort of like, well, I don't know whether my sister-in-law would accept it. So both my brothers got married. I missed out on their weddings, you know. I'm the only daughter as well. I'm their only sister. And I didn't get to go to their weddings. And I, that is always going to be like, whilst I don't regret anything, I really, I'm not going to say regret, but it, it's a sadness, really. You know, you want to be there for your brother's weddings. You want to see them get married. You know, you want to see them happy, whatever. And I missed out on both their weddings. What about broader society? So what... If you've met someone within the kind of Asian community, what's their reaction like to the work you do? Well, when I first got into the industry, um, there was a lot of hate. You know, I think mostly it was Muslims. Um, what kind of hate? Like what messages? I mean, not personally to me, but there'd be on, there used to be a lot of forums at the time and they right. used to put on there saying, oh, look at this, uh, you know, shame that she's brought onto the community, got to find her and kill her. Uh, you know, somebody needs to do her in and all that. <laughs> I was like my god and these are things i hadn't thought about when i got into it at all 
I really and I the honest the truth is I I never I didn't give any of this um any thought I hope I was tw- I was literally away from home I was 28 I was just doing what I was doing wanted to do, get some extra money I never gave any anything else the wider thing any thought I didn't give uh, any thought to how my parents would be a family would be affected how my parents would be affected uh, the wider community as a whole it's not really an issue but uh but you'd sort of think that your family would stand by you a little bit it's all based on the fact because it's not saying it's in your face but it's out there it is for anyone to find and it's sex before marriage which is a no-no nobody has sex before marriage in islam or asian culture they're all doing it they are all doing it i was speaking to uh, a nurse uh, a sexual health nurse and we were talking about stis and stuff and she said to me and i, I was surprised because she said to me stis in the asian community are rife and she said normally anal STIs and I was like what, what do you mean why why? Is, why is it anal STIs why is it rife in Asian communities hey so they're all having sex you know obviously oh I've just got it because it's if you're having anal sex and that's not real sex yeah apparently oh, you know yes but I'm like aren't they using condoms obviously not see I think that's the other thing of uh, so therefore if 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 you're having anal sex you're still a virgin you're still technically a virgin. and you're so still not, pure and yeah. all of those other so they're not doing a vaginal sex they're all having anal sex okay not a problem fine but uh, I don't think some of these people some of these people having sex seem to think that they they should be getting t- they should be so they're getting tested they're going in because they've got symptoms so they should be being taught about sex you know asian com- as a whole and uh, Asian communities, Southeast Asian, whatever, even um, on HIV, the nurse was saying that it's because people say it's taboo. They don't want to talk about HIV. They don't want to talk about STIs. And she said HIV is also on the increases in Southeast Asian communities. You know, Asian communities have, have got to accept that you have gays, you know, gay people in the community. It's this, you know, accept that. And accept the fact that people are having sex. Full and stop. accept the fact so- people are having sex. And put into place sexual education and don't make it so taboo make it so people are aware that whether you're having vaginal sex anal sex oral sex make sure you're protected make sure you're getting checked because if you're having sex with multiple people okay let's take away the fact of multiple people you could be having sex with one person but that other person you don't know what they're doing and families don't talk about it you know there needs to be community um liaison officers or community events or community things where this is discussed because your families ain't gonna discuss it with you families ain't family don't even discuss you know when you start your bloody period <laughs> you know i mean when i used to learn about you um i'm not gonna say learn about sex because i didn't learn i learned it from a book you learned from reading books but when families get together and you know you've got women in the kitchen or cooking you know and they're they are rude, actually. When they're talking, they're well rude. Somebody, and that's what. And then they'd go shh, shh, can't say anything. And you'd be like, so you'd be like listening at the door with your ear, trying to see what they're saying. And that's how they, you know, that's how you learn things. One of my, I think my grandma's sister. She, so she was quite young when she got married. I think early twenties. And I think her husband literally fucked her up the ass, and she didn't want to get fucked up the ass. But she was like, and she was telling us right, and. Um, I think I was about 15, 16. <laughs> and I'm like, why would you do something you don't want to do? You have to do what your husband wants. 
it really is irrelevant what you may or may not want. Yeah, right? and you have to keep the husband happy. Otherwise, he looks elsewhere. Now that I'm in my 40s, I think of porn very differently. It's a great place to explore our sexuality, to find out what turns us on, experiment with different things, perhaps even expand our sexual repertoire. But I have to admit, I still don't have the easiest relationship with porn. Yes, watching porn turns me on. Watching beautiful people having sex always does. But that's the point right there. Porn is full of beautiful people with a certain type of body. A porn body. The big breasts. The impossibly narrow waist. And my pet peeve. Hairless vulvas. My younger friends tell me they wouldn't ever consider having sex with any hair on their vulvas. I think porn has normalised hairless vulvas so much that we're all expected to be hairless now. We're spending zillions of pounds removing our pubic hair, underarm hair and hair everywhere on our bodies. And then porn has gone and turned hairy vulvas into a fetish. What's that about? I also think about the racial stereotyping, which makes me feel uncomfortable. Does porn turn brown bodies into a fetish, where we've been turned into a category? Just a tick box on a website. Not the brown, beautiful and individual people that we really are. Sarah, what's your, what have your experiences been like within the adult entertainment industry how were you treated what was the kind of you know what was it like see um so now my experience in the adult industry has been good and i know lots of few women uh, in the industry have have bad experiences but i think i've been really lucky um maybe because i was older when i started so i had a whilst i didn't have a lot of sexual experience I had a bit of life experience i guess and um I'm not really, you know, I think at 18 to 28, there's quite a big difference. At 18, you might get, I'm not saying you can get bullied, but you might get bullied into doing certain things that you don't want to do, or you feel you have to do certain things just to do X, Y, and Z. I think when I started, I was, I did what I wanted. So, and I worked in the States and, I, you know, the agency I went out with, for me, were fine. I think you have to have your head really screwed on in this industry. And like anything, if you've got issues, deep, dark issues, the industry does bring them out. It is it is what it is. You know, people deal with it differently. There's good and bad in everything. It's good and bad. And you have to be a strong person. Uh, you've got to have a thick skin because people will call you all sorts. It can cause negative body issues. And I, I have I do see that in some girls. I mean, I have a very little filler put in. I only had it, started having that done this year. But I go to a plastic surgeon who does it good and then but some people have it done like via nurses and aesthetics. and now you can get it like the dentist does it it's a dentist and they come round to your house and do it and they fuck yeah. it up and I, I it took me years but I think you really have to do your research like anything you go do your research you can have boob implants you can have butt implants uh, is that the norm though within the industry that are you expected to no it's not um, a lot of girls seem to have it done I guess because they, they want to look a certain way not saying you all end up looking the same but they do blonde hair big tits 
you're looking like a, a Barbie doll. I think it's from the 80s porn industry in the uh, in the USA. You know, it was blondes and big tits. In Europe, it's not so much. People have, are having boob jobs and butt lifts. But in Europe, uh, I, I find that they're still more natural. Natural figures, you know, small, you know, whatever natural figure is, whether it's big tits, small tits, normal bum. I've kept mine natural. That's because I was too scared to go up to. Just, I'll be one of them people who, if I have, have anything done, would go wrong. It's been such a pleasure, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming over, for being as open as you have been and chatting and being on the Salah podcast. Thank, Thank you, you for having much. me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I have so many other questions. We might have to do another one. Okay, that's fine. We can talk <laughs> some more. I could talk forever. <laughs> if you've been affected by anything we've talked about in this episode, please head to the show notes where I've listed some information about organisations which can offer help and support. I'm Sangeeta Pillai. Thank you for listening to the Masala Podcast. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories, a place to reclaim our bodies, to tackle taboos within our culture, to be exactly who we want to be. Get in touch and tell me your stories about your taboos. Check out my website, soulsutras.co.uk or get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Soul Sutras.